The best practice for dealing with fraud is to prevent it from ever happening. This is Forensically Speaking, where host Jonathan Marks will help you understand the forensic side of compliance so you can move from detection to prevention in your compliance program. Here's your host, Jonathan Marks. Hello, this is Jonathan Marks, and this is Forensically Speaking. This is part two of corporate governance. As you recall in part one, we talked about the governance framework and the components of a governance framework. And just to highlight the key components of a governance framework, we talked about boards and committees, we talked about legal and regulatory, we talked about business practices and ethics. The other components, which include communication, enterprise risk management, monitoring, and disclosure and transparency will be discussed in this episode. So let's try to dive right in right now and finish my overview of corporate governance. So the next topic, disclosure and transparency. What I will tell you is do it, say it, tell it, and show it. Ensure that information is understandable, relevant, reliable, and comparable as are required by regulations. For example, Sarbanes-Oxley. What does this mean? That information is complete, accurate, objective, timely, and useful. Why? Information provides diverse stakeholder groups the ability to make effective and timely decisions without compromising competitive advantage. You know, it's, uh, again, when we talk about disclosure and transparency, this is something that often gets overlooked when it comes to corporate governance, but it is really important and it does ensure that people have the right information and they have the right information on a timely basis. One of the challenges here is to ensure that the diverse stakeholder groups receive the needed information that is understandable and useful. A lot of times people get information that really just isn't understandable and useful, not in the right form. It's not timely. You know, it's it's not it's not in a way uh, it's not in a form that uh, somebody can use in order to manage the business and again make informed decisions. Information for directors an ongoing challenge has always been getting the right information and the right level of detail to the board. Information from the CEO, information from committees, and so on and so forth. But getting the right level of detail you know, to the board is, is really important. For those of you that are already on board, you'll probably understand and know that sometimes you'll get a board book or a, a summary of, uh, you know, what the meeting is going to be about. And it contains two, 200 pages or more of a lot of information. A lot of times that information is useful. A lot of times it's not. But um, there needs to be a good balance there. You know, certainly reading through 200 pages of information is a lot but I'm always concerned about, is it the right information? If 200 pages works, then that's fine, but it has to be the right information. Look and define those key issues. Ensure the key issues are discussed and don't overwhelm the board with details. Information topics of interest to directors, for sure, would be the risk assessment and where we stand with that. You know, Is it something that we need to update? Are there any new risks you know, has anything else happened? If you're subject to Sarbanes-Oxley 302 disclosures, um, CEO and CFO sign off on quarterlies, um, and that there are no material internal control issues. And, you know, those material control issues, you know, take various forms, as you well know. You know, there could be a deficiency, a significant deficiency, or material weakness. 
but um, you know, a lot of times the the level of detail and how those things are presented are also very important. You know, when it comes to information, a lot of times it's yes, you're providing the information, but are you providing the right level of detail and is it formed in the right context? You know, for the board to make a decision, you have to remember. You know, a lot of times board members, although they might have a general working knowledge of things, they might not have a detailed working knowledge, and it's often important to frame these things in the right way so that people really do understand those. You know, other topics of interest are executive compensation and bonuses and things of that nature. Um, You know, consider the need for a disclosure committee. I know we talked about committees in part one, but consider the need for a disclosure committee. You know, the disclosure committee can really keep, you know, the company honest and make sure that things are being disclosed on a timely and, and relevant basis. The next topic is enterprise risk management, the role of director in managing risk. Really, there's a couple processes here or sub-processes that I really wanted to talk about. That is emphasizing and managing risk across the organization using common methods and processes. I'll talk about that in a second. Advocating integrating risk management functions into, you know, to improve informants. You know, are they operationalized? Encourage becoming a more cost-effective organization. And, you know, from a risk management perspective, promoting strategic strategic data-driven behavior, uh, enterprise risk management, or as I like to say, enterprise-wide risk management, because it's not only the enterprises of the extended enterprise, but are we managing the risk across the organization using common methods? Oftentimes, especially in practice, what I've seen over my career, there are various risk assessments that are done throughout the organization. They're not done consistently. They're not rated consistently. They're not harmonized. So in other words, if you're doing a fraud risk assessment, does that fraud risk assessment, can you link and label it back up to the overall enterprise-wide risk management or the ERM program if you have one? Um, or if there are other risk assessments, do they link and label back up? Meaning that if you define an issue from a fraud perspective, how is that issue, um, if, if it's significant enough, how is that issue accounted for or displayed from an enterprise risk management perspective? If I'm a smart regulator and I'm looking at an organization and I'm looking at their governance framework, one of the first things I'm going to do is ask for the risk assessments. And if they're not harmonized or they're inconsistent, you know, I can tell you that really shows that the organization is probably a siloed organization and not communicating effectively. Um, so, just a little practice pointer there and um, from an from a enterprise-wide risk perspective. And when it comes to updating risks, updating risks are something that are not done annually or semi-annually. They're done as needed when there's changes. You know, uh, if there's a regulatory change, if there's a change in the organization, if there's a merger, if there's an acquisition, uh, if, you know, key people leave or there's a RIF. I mean, all those things really do affect um, enterprise-wide risk management and, you know, the, the program should be adjusted accordingly. And those changes really do need to be communicated back to the board. So it's not a for, set it and forget it exercise. The board's role in enterprise risk management, um, let me give you a couple pointers here. Ensure effective pro- there are effective processes for identifying and managing risk. I think that's one. Trust and verify that processes are applied appropriately. Understand how risk is managed and ensure that it's appropriately mitigated. So it's not only that we identify the risks, are they appropriately mitigated? You know, and if they're not, why not? Approach, 
you know, I would approach risk management holistically across the entire organization. Plan for the unplanned. Expect the unexpected. I mean, that's what we should be doing is, you know, from a board perspective. Monitor risk management planning and compliance. You know, how are we monitoring these risks? What are we doing? What is the executive leadership team doing? Are we, again, going back to data? Are we getting the right data? Uh, is that data timely? Is it meaningful? Um you know, does it show us that those risks are being mitigated? Are we testing? You know, from an internal audit perspective, is internal audit clued in? Is compliance clued in? You know, are other key stakeholders clued in to make sure that they're appropriately managing these risks as well? And the other thing is, from a board's perspective, I would link to ensure that things are linked to the ethical culture of the organization. Um, and a culture of honesty and transparency goes a long way towards managing risk. Um, you know, I like to talk about the 10-80-10 rule or the perfect place syndrome when it comes to looking at an organization and, and talking about fraud or risk or whatever, and that is 10% of the people in your organization are honest, 80% are situationally ethical, and 10% are committing fraud right now. Now those percentages might change according to you know, your organization, it's just a generality, but you get the general gist. And that is, you know, if you can keep people um, contained, those 80% contained, and along with that 10%, that's 90% of your organization, you know, that you have control over, the other 10% really do need to be managed. But, um, you know, honesty and transparency, when, when you're talking about risk and you're identifying things, and if people know that you're honest and transparent, they tend to, those situationally ethical people uh, or individuals within your organization tend to stay in that bucket and don't cross, you know, over the proverbial line of being unethical. So, you know, think about that. Understanding risks, take off those rose-colored glasses. Um, insurance is not enough. And I am telling you right now, from a practice perspective, I would have your insurance policies really reviewed by somebody that understands. You know, oftentimes when there's something that, you know, there's a crisis or something bad happens and people always invoke the insurance card, we go back and look and those coverages are really not appropriate. There are limitations and so on and so forth. So, you know, as your risk management program changes, you should be in real uh, close contact with your insurance broker, you know, to make sure that you're you have proper coverages in the right areas. Uh, bring expertise, experience, and intuition, you know, into the process. Ensure that there are adequate resources uh, allocated to the risk management process. Allow for effective oversight. Um, manage, but don't micromanage. You know, again, we talked about that before. Understand the risk management process and plans. Um, ensure that risk management is linked to the evaluation of the organization's performance. And, you know, one of the things is understanding the types of risk assessments that the organization has, enterprise-wide, operational, environmental, legal, compliance, cybersecurity, um, you know, internal audit projected specific and financial reporting risks. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different risks within the organization, and, and you really need to understand those risks and take off your rose-colored glasses. The next component is monitoring. You know, monitoring, comparing what is with what should be. And there are two separate points that I wanted to make here. One was, you know, from a monitoring perspective, it advocates, coordinates, and ensures continuous improvement and governance 
um, you know, throughout, you know, throughout the, uh, the organization's life cycle. And the folks um, that could help with that are certainly our internal audit. And then, um, you know, the other thing is regulatory compliance, you know, board self-assessments, you know, legal in-house counsel, you know, various aspects of internal reporting, you know, the overall ethics and compliance initiative and, um, uh, you know, the actual uh, uh, chief compliance officer as well. So, um, you know, those are those are certain examples of advocating, coordinating and ensuring continuous improvement in the governance process. And it should be a continuous improvement thing. I, you know, that's something that I think the uh, regulators are really looking at now from a compliance perspective. You know, when something goes wrong, are you doing root cause analysis? And then, you know, are you taking that information as part of the feedback and actually going back into the program and looking to see what type of changes are made. And if changes need to be made, they have to be made. Make them. The other thing, uh, the other the other part of this that I wanted to talk about was looking for gaps. You know, what is happening? What should be? Again, when we're monitoring, and I said this before, you really need to understand the organization. You really understand, you need to understand the boundaries that it operates in or the ecosystem it operates in. And, um, you know, look for gaps. And again, you know, what is happening, what should be. And again, these are these are opportunities to enhance the program. They're opportunities to make changes. They're opportunities to enhance your control environment and so on and so forth. So, you know, monitoring is really important. And it's something that really should be um, looked at uh, very carefully within an organization because, those types of monitoring programs are invaluable or, or, or will become invaluable to you once you start to get them rolling and, you know, um, and, and, and that information, you know, comes to you on a timely basis. Again, a lot of this is going back to, you know, having some good data and, um, you know, again, understanding the key risks within the company or the organization. So a challenge that I just wanted to lay out there is, you know, you need to work vigilant vigilantly to create a sustainable corporate governance process and ensure the health of the organization. And, you know, from a monitoring perspective, that's certainly appropriate. You know, kind of like your own personal health, you know, you should probably get a physical every year. You know, you want to you want to keep a checkup, you know, of, of your own personal health. But if something does go wrong, you do want to get to a doctor right away and make sure that there's a good diagnosis. No different within an organization. Do's and don'ts from a monitoring perspective. Again, um, don't run the company. Nose in, fingers off. Do influence strategy and policy. Do hire the CEO and determine CEO compensation. Um, do guide appropriate processes. Do protect shareholders' interests. You know, be diligent and vigilant. Um, and do provide an external objective or a point of view. So some of the do's and don'ts from a monitoring perspective. One example here is from an audit committee perspective, ensure strong enterprise risk management, monitoring functions um, from, a, from a governance and nominating committee perspective, perform periodic corporate governance evaluations. From a compensation committee perspective, ensure key performance indicators and underlying uh, data are accurate and complete so that there can be good decisions and good, good and timely informed decisions made when it comes to, to compensation and achieving those goals and objectives in order to Communication, um, another component of corporate governance, is really the hub of the corporate governance process. It kind of ties everything together. So if you picture the components that we've laid out and put communication right in the middle, it's really that 
It's that thing that keeps everything together right there in the middle. Emphasizing the value of communication, including clarifying information and timely delivery and, and creating multiple channels of communication is really important. I might have mentioned this before, and if I didn't, you know, communication, you know, I have a little quiz for everybody out there. Communication includes a sender, a medium, and a receiver, and that's really communication, right? No. Uh, communication is a sender, a medium, receiver, and then there's feedback in order to have proper communication. And again, I think that's one of the things that the regulators picked up on, and I think it's one of the things that we need to be doing now from a compliance perspective, and that is, you know, when you find out that there's something wrong and there's some communication that's given back, that you know, that that's really the feedback that you're getting. That feedback needs to be looked at and analyzed appropriately. And when there are adjustments that need to be made, those adjustments are made, and those adjustments are made on you know at, at that moment in time. They're not you don't wait to make those adjustments. I think that's important. Communication advocates advocates multiple uh, dimensional dialogue throughout the organization. You know, like I said, it functions as the hub and assists in ensuring improvement throughout the organization. The challenge is, you know, improving the exchange of information between stakeholders with various components you know, within the corporate governance framework. It's tough. It really is. Communication is one of those things where we can always do better on. Um, You know, I always wonder whether I'm communicating appropriately. I always wonder, you know, are we communicating the right information? And so um, I think that's one of those things where you you have to take a step back and really ask yourself, you know, am I providing the right information? Um, is it easily understandable? Is it timely? So on and so forth. So again, communication being the hub. What can the board do to support good corporate governance? Well, the board can insist on clear presentations that allow directors to focus on key issues. They can certainly ask questions. You know, um, they can create dialogue. Don't passively listen to presentations or ideas that are being presented. You know, um, you know some. I, I have something that I put together, you know, passengers and participants, you know, you know, um, if you're a passenger and you're just rolling along here, you know, that's really not what the organization needs. You really have to, you have to be present. You have to be in the moment. You have to listen. You have to contribute. You can also set the tone. You can commit the time needed to your role. Um, you know, take the time to visit company locations and interact with the senior leadership and employees. I think that's important to get that feedback. When I talked about tone from the top and that it resonates down and through, you know, you should be able to test that. Uh, get to know key members of the management team some more. You know, when you, if, you know, if you do those visits or you make phone calls or weekly phone calls, you know, keep in touch, you know, find out what's, you know, find out what's going on. That's your job as from, from an oversight perspective. You know, contact experts or your trusted advisors when you're not certain about what to do. Again, you know, that's important. So these are some key things, you know, what the board can do to support good corporate governance. Create a governance scorecard. You know, where are you? Um, You know, uh, I think it's important to know where you're at. Uh, When we look at the attributes, again, of the corporate governance framework, boards and directors and committees, legal and regulatory, business practices and ethics, disclosure and transparency, enterprise risk management, monitoring, communication. You know, where are you? Know where you are. I mean, are you non-compliant? Are you compliant? Are you advanced? You know, and it's okay. I mean, but that self-assessment can be used as a motivator to improve on certain areas. You know, and 
again, there's nobody that's perfect, but and it's an evolution, not a revolution. But uh, really know where you are and know that there are real opportunities to, to improve. And when you do improve, like I said before, you know, good corporate governance has been linked to more successful organizations. So good governance in summary, let's talk about that as we wrap up part two. When you think about companies with epic frauds like Enron and WorldCom, you think about the very volatile mix of high-risk accounting, conflicts of interests, you know, a cowboy culture and big corporate lines of credit for executives. Um, you know, you can't say that they were all bad people, but you can ask yourself, you know, what was their governance structure like? What social structure did the board have that interfered with having candid conversations about the clear risk factors that were going on in the company? You could ask, where was the general counsel of this company? You can ask, what kinds of conversations was he or she having or not having with the board of directors? Why was it that the board did not have its finger on the pulse of the ethical grid of the company, which was clearly lacking? You know, so again, you know, when it comes to fraud and ethical breaches or breakdowns, you know, governance is really important. And again, when we do our autopsy or root cause of these giant failures like WorldCom and Enron and Adelphia and Parmalat and A-Hold, like I mentioned before, a lot of it boils down to one of the root causes is a breakdown in corporate governance or a lack of corporate governance. Let's talk about organizational situations that encourage bad behavior. And again, these are just some. I'm sure you have your own. The big lie justifies unethical actions. For the good of the company, the end justifies the means. Uh, verbal or written contracts that obligate persons despite doubts, um, positive wording used to justify wrong behavior. You know, I love the emails that say, hey, we can do this, nobody will ever know. Um, those, are, those, are, those are priceless. Uh, vague rules justify unethical employee behavior or, or enable unjust management. Again, sometimes this is done purposefully. Roles are twisted to influence persons to act unethically. No accountability uh, for the result, you know, for, for unethical behavior. And no action. The first step toward ultimate evil act is small and, and generally increases gradually. So a lot of times these situations are, they start out small and then they, they increase gradually. As with some frauds, not every fraud, but usually that's what happens. Um, and a lot of times, you know, when you look at organizational situations that encourage bad behavior, um, high exit costs make it difficult to leave a bad situation. And there are a bunch of other situations that really do en encourage bad behavior. One that's not on here that I wanted to talk about um, is compensation. And we talked about that before, having the right data to make informed decisions from a compensation perspective. But, you know, that being said, uh, having a compensation that is reasonable, it's easily measured, you know, that doesn't encourage that bad behavior is really important. Uh, one of the first things that we do when we're doing an investigation is really try to understand, you know, how people are making their money. Because, again, you know, there's a human element to all of this, Right. And, you know, uh, people act crazy for different reasons, and compensation is usually a big driver of that. So good governance in summary and closing out today's podcast, good governance enriches shareholder value. Um, 
It helps to ensure a spotless corporate reputation. It helps to ensure regulatory compliance. It helps increase operational efficiency and effectiveness. It helps enhancing communications. It helps with improving reporting and disclosures. It helps the fulfillment of the fiduciary responsibility of the board of director. And last but not least, um, it reduces the likelihood of fraud or ethical breaches. This is the end of podcast number two on corporate governance. My name is Jonathan Marks, and this is Forensically Speaking. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Forensically Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and help us spread the word by leaving a review.